Good afternoon and welcome to Liberty Block's newest show with Ed, Jody, and Steve, who will be discussing basic principles as well as current events. Our hosts range from more conservative to more libertarian, as is representative of Liberty Block in general. Our goal is to present thought-provoking material and arguments and be a forum where people can offer their opinions and debate without being yelled at, mocked, or hung up on, as is true on so many talk shows today. With that, we welcome you. Jody, I turn it over to you. Thanks, Steve. Uh, great intro. I didn't know we weren't allowed to yell. I'm going to have to keep that in mind. We're allowed to yell. I'm kidding. Aren't allowed to yell. <laughs> I'm totally kidding. I, I won't yell. <laughs> Maybe just mock. <laughs> Quietly. So, so let me just, before I ask my question, I just want to give you a little bit of background for it, which you, you two know, but others might not. But so I really was a liberal for most of my adult life. And um, in early on in uh, Obama's first term, I started to notice things that I, I, that I questioned during the healthcare debate. I was a nurse, my husband is a physician. So I had some background knowledge and so as I started to hear things that didn't make sense, um, I had that, you know, epiphany moment. If, 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 if they're not really being truthful about this, what, what else might they not be truthful about? So I went down the proverbial research rabbit hole and I came up realizing that essentially liberalism wasn't what I thought it wasn't what I signed up for. And so I've been on a perpetual journey since then to kind of redefine and figure out who I am and, and, and what everything means. I, I've obviously learned liberalism isn't what I thought, but I still haven't really figured out where I fit. And, you know, I've gone from libertarian to conservative to, I really don't know. And so I wanted to pose that question for today to sort of uh, dive into what, what do those terms really mean? It's, they're certainly, um, reasons why we all argue. So maybe it would be good to sort of have a discussion on what exactly, what exactly do they mean? Anyone? Well, I'm not sure what they mean. I mean, they, I think that a conservative by, by definition is someone who's trying to conserve a current condition. Uh, in politics, I think it's someone who's trying to conserve the status quo. Uh, a libertarian is, a, a, I think, a more broadly defined term, and I, I may be less susceptible to a precise definition, but it's someone who is, in general, in favor of liberty. And liberty is, is a very broad concept. I don't think it can be pinned down very easily, uh, especially when you don't uh, connect it to other concepts. Um, I think, I mean, it's your question, not mine, but the better question is what's the difference between right. conservatives and libertarians, right. because yes. they're both on the political right, but both of them seem to go at each other pretty strongly. And I think the primary difference between a conservative and a libertarian is a different view of the relationship between morality and law. I think a libertarian believes that law must be completely amoral, that it can't embody any moral 
lessons or teaching or uh, it's not designed to impart morality on the people um, other than that it involves the, the non-initiation of force principle, the non-aggression principle. Mm -hmm. um, whereas a conservative, I think, believes that it's not just okay, but proper for the law within a certain, for the law to impart morality onto the people, uh, but not in an unrestricted way, in a particularly restricted way. Um, the libertarian thinks, I think, thinks that the law needs to be amoral, whereas I think the conservative starts with the premise that law is, the law's foundation is the translation of the prevailing morality of a society into rules that govern strangers and, and even non-strangers within the society, and that all law to a conservative embodies some uh, principle or measure of morality. Um, even the non-initiation non of force principle, that involves a certain uh, evaluation of a proper morality, that it's wrong to in initiate force. Um, a libertarian is seen, doesn't, I think a libertarian in general is not troubled by that seeming contradiction. Um, whereas a conservative, I think, says, we start with the premise that law does embody morality and that morality can't be separated from law, uh, but that we need to find ways to limit how much law can impose morality on dissenters. Mm -hmm. I think. Well, that's fascinating. I wish I would have known you a long time ago and asked. It might have saved me a lot of arguments. I really do think that gets to the heart. What you just said really gets to the heart of that for me. One of my questions li would linger though. So how do I ask this question? So morality is such a big thing, but who gets to define it? precisely and when Everybody. the law does objectively become immoral then what well those are big questions i, I know mean, i just went off into know, the weeds, not, but the, i know, think the morality issue just like what you defined has maybe been the crux of why i'm not i what my what my hold up is of not understanding the can two I, can I, I back up a minute it up. yeah i want to back up a minute um, as the youngest member of this team, <laughs> I think I'm not a big expert on Goldwater's conservatism. My understanding of conservatism is biased, but I believe were Reagan's three legs of conservatism, which I believe were small government, strong military, and conservative on social issues. Is that pretty accurate? Uh, yes, I think he, he called it fiscal, social, and military conservatism, I think. Okay. And I don't, was that a new definition of conservative or just a new coalition? It's a good question. I don't remember, it, I don't remember if, if, it, if that was new or just a new formulation. I don't know. Okay. And then I'm just going to ask one more question before we get back to Jody's question. What would we describe the founders as? Conservatives? For libertarians. Well, that one's pretty easy. I mean, they certainly weren't conservative. They were overthrowing the established order. You know, the Declaration starts off by giving you know reasons that impel them to the separation. 
So I don't think that they were trying to conserve the status quo. Um, although I guess in some sense, you know, William Pitt thought that the, you know, and Edmund Burke both thought that the, the colonists were right. Um, and they did see themselves as Englishmen trying to preserve and, and further their own rights as Englishmen. But um, I don't think they were conserving the old system. They were creating a new system, uh, maybe with direct relation to where they were coming from, but uh, still a new system. Uh, I don't know that they were libertarian. I don't think that they, for, I mean, the term didn't exist back then, but I don't think any of them believed that government and morality would, could be separated. You know, John Adams very famously said uh, that our constitution was designed for a religious and moral people and would be of no use to any other. And I think that most of the founders agreed with that. I think that most of them would have agreed or, or did agree that you couldn't separate a moral people from constitutional and, and good government. I think you so. just made two separate points. I'm not sure. They definitely agreed that a government wouldn't work with an amoral people. But the fact that they believed that states could legislate morality, I think is better illustrated by the fact that the individual states for sure did. But just the fact that they said it didn't apply to an amoral people, that I agree even as a libertarian. Without Say amoral or immoral? Amoral. I think that's the word we're using. People well, who have Adam's some quote is Im Adam's quote was about immoral or moral, you know, moral versus immoral. Amoral means taking no position on morality. And I don't think that the any of the founders believed that the government should take no position on morality. Uh, many of the colonies and early states had national churches. Um, they legislated moral issues. Um, I, I don't think there's much evidence at all that they believed that the government had to be amoral in the sense that libertarians today tend to argue that it needs to be amoral. No, for, for sure they believe states could legislate morality because like you said, states were pretty religious at the time. I was just merely splitting the two issues that the fact that the constitution can't work with amoral or immoral people would be true even if that weren't true. Even if I found that a libertarian state, it doesn't work with people who have no morals. That's, that's all I'm saying. Okay, but now we can get back to well, let me before you go to George's question, I, I want to just push back a little on that. I think that if you make the government amoral as opposed to immoral, amoral means it takes no position. And because moral people tend to be against the initiation of force, when you make the government amoral in the sense that you just described, you give immoral people the upper hand because they're willing to impose their views by force and through the government. And that's why I think you see the right sometimes split on issues, for instance, like today about big tech. You know, is it a private company that should be able to do what it pleases with its own property? Or is it a threat to the survival of the Republic by destroying the cultural environment that supports free speech? And a libertarian would say, no, you've got to be amoral about it. But I think a conservative would say, no, without the, without the underlying cultural support for free speech, you don't have a free society. So um, I don't think that an amoral government, I think an amoral government would necessarily give the upper hand to the immoral people who would seek to take over and impose their will by force and by force of law. Okay, so my takeaway, with all due respect, 
is that you think it was naive of me to think we could start off the show with a simple question. <laughs> with all due respect, I have a lot of respect for you. So, um, no, I just see we, we get into the thick of it real quick. No, it's good. Though. That's good, right? Okay, let's go back, if we can, back to the simple level of what she asked. Because she also asked who gets to determine morality, which is a great one. Well, I mean, of course, morality has to be decided by individual people and by a consciousness. It's not going to be handed down on tablets, you know, on Mount Sinai, you know, you know, unless you're Moses. But, you know, people have to decide for themselves. The people in government have to decide. And reality is the ultimate final arbiter. You know, you know, morality presupposes a standard. You know, what what is your goal? Is your goal life? If your goal is life, then respect for hard work, respect for uh, not imposing force on people, respect for the ability of people to think freely for themselves, those things are values. But if your morality is, you know, that, that, you, that you owe a duty to help anyone in need, that's going to, you know, that's going to be, you know, that's a different standard and you're going to have different laws that flow from that. All right. Then we're going to have to, at some point, address forcing nuns to pay for abortion. That's why I want to go back to the simpler level and then get back to the thick part. Uh -huh. Okay, so let me ask another question, if I can, on the same subject. But so when I came to, I, I'd never heard of libertarianism until I realized I wasn't liberal. When I came to the term, uh, it resonated with me because it felt sort of, at the time, like, I'd, it's not for me to decide someone's sort of moral code based uh, with the exception of, you know, a few things you, 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 you can't steal, you can't kill people, your basics, right? You can't, the non-aggression principle, I suppose you could say. Um, and then I got sort of connected with the Libertarian Party. And I think where my confusion began was the libertarian philosophy appears to be one thing. The libertarian party appears to be another in my perception. And when we talk about conservatism, we're talking about a philosophy like libertarian, but when you put the philosophy into a party, now the conservative philosophy you can say is now the Republican party. And then there's the libertarian philosophy is the libertarian party. To me, the philosophies get altered a lot once you put the philosophy inside a party, because now you have to make laws based on that philosophy. And I think that's sort of one of the reasons, one of the reasons why my confusion over the last 10 years, but as Ed, you described, I feel like I'm coming a little bit back to conservatism because I don't think you can take, um, I don't, I don't, I, I don't think the government can be amoral. I guess. Right. I don't think so either. And I think even, you know, within those limited parameters that you, that you mentioned, you know, the non-initiation of force principle, that is a morality. And if we're going to have laws that impose that on people who don't agree with it, and there are people who don't agree with it, that's the law taking a position on morality. And I think that we need to be careful to circumscribe how far the government can go to imposing morality on people. Right. Um, but to just that's it right there mm -hmm. 
that's why I that's why I would have not been conservative in my younger days because I would have felt I, I probably still do a little I don't want the government imposing um a lot of immoral I don't or, or a lot of morality on people. For example, a, a right to gay marriage. First of all, I agree gay marriage shouldn't be a government thing, but once marriage becomes a government thing, now you have the morality question. Now the government is going to decide who can and cannot participate in that union, right? So that's one of the reasons why I would have said, well, I don't want government intervening on the moral question because I don't, you know, that's a, a, um, one of the uh, subjects that would have turned me away. Whereas now I'm starting to think government does have a, a role at least. Well, I think that even with, you know, gay marriage can be its own separate show that we can do. Um, but I think that the government needs to be, needs to, first of all, I think that without a marriage law, you would, you would need marriage. For all the reasons that gays have been saying they need a marriage law, I think that straight people need a marriage law too. And we do need a marriage law. So I, I, don't, I disagree that government should, you know, you said the government shouldn't be in the, the business of marriage. And, and I disagree with that. I think that there's a, a real need for, for a marriage law uh, because uh, there are a whole bunch of issues, you know, financial, cultural, raising children, uh, that we need, we need default rules if people don't lay them out for themselves. And the purpose of a marriage law is similar to the purpose of, say, corporate law. You know, you can create a corporation or a partnership and with a few limited exceptions, you can pretty much make them do whatever you want. But if you don't specify, there needs to be a body of law that says what the relationship is between shareholders or between partners. Likewise, I think that you need that with marriage. So um, even in marriage, I think, huh? Go ahead. So I just, even with marriage, I, I you know, I, I'm reluctant to, to have the government push in my face, you know, you know, what's good and what's bad and who, you know, who, who might, who, who, who should be married and who shouldn't be, but I think it's unavoidable. I mean, otherwise, you know, you could have marriages of, you know, eight, you know, eight people or 12 people, or, I mean, you know, imagine having to have the equivalent of a board meeting to figure out, you know, medical treatment when somebody is in the hospital in need of emergency care, right? I mean, you need to have one spouse who can say, all right, these are the options. I pick option B, right? I mean, if you have, a multi-party marriage, how are you going to do that? Totally I mean, disagree. You totally uh, disagree. Not huh? that I want to give any more uh, work to lawyers, but marriages should be regulated by contracts. And as far as your second argument, um, my mom is going to leave seven children and no spouse. And that's the natural way, is that the children each have a say. So I don't know why that should be any different with marriage. Personally, I'm pro-polygamy as long as it's uh, voluntary. Me too. The problem with regulating marriage entirely through contract is that every person comes into the world as a child and there needs to be a legal mechanism for cutting off the rights of the parents to meddle in the child's decisions once the child gets older. And we saw that starkly in a lot of gay situations where the parents just simply didn't recognize the gay relationship. And, you know, for instance, you have will contests where it was plain as day that the 
deceased gay lover wanted to leave his estate to his gay partner and the parents challenged the will even though it was videotaped even though there were lots of evidence collected in anticipation of that lover's death uh, the parents had had standing to challenge the will and put the the surviving partner through hell trying to prove that his dead partner really loved him and really meant to leave all this property to him so in my view and and mar and heterosexual married people didn't have that issue precisely because marriage cut off the rights of the parents to challenge the will and have the will thrown out and have all the property come back into the family. So aren't I think, wills, aren't wills challenged all the time, especially in second marriages where there's lots of money? Challenged by who, by the by the children sometimes, but you you that's a that's a much more limited situation than every single person starts off a ward of his parents. And there needs to be a legal mechanism. There needs to be a mechanism when the child is born for the parents to be in charge of him. But then the child needs a, a, a mechanism in the law that cuts off his parents' rights when he turns 18 or 20 or whatever. So again, I think, I think that that's necessary. Okay, to go back to Jody's question, yeah. I think we're starting to fall into boxes. I'm gonna give you the conservative box. I'm gonna take the libertarian box. And at the moment, I think Jody's in between, although I'm not sure. I'm not even sure what that means. There needs to be a government mechanism to say who owns the children. Um, first of all, you have societies, the Marxist societies are like the Israeli kibbutz where the village owns the children. So even, even that is not so simple. And libertarians and divorcees among us have a whole bunch of issues with government taking over children's rights. But to get back to Jody's question, which box would you put yourself in or, or is that part of what we're trying to define? That question's to me? You're Jody. Yes. Okay. <laughs> uh, yeah. So, no, well, I've, even just in this discussion, I've felt like I've gone from um, conservative, libertarian, I, I move and I'm realizing, you know, I, I, I think it's a subject matter issue with me um, and, you know, when I look, and I'm not as learned on history and the founders as, as you two, but I have this sort of limited education belief that they were fundamentally libertarian, classical liberal, what, whatever you might have called them. And I like the notion, and I don't know that this came from them, but the sort of uh, letting states sort of figure it out, sort of uh, um, you know, you might bring, you might bring a, 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 a subject up and say, this can't, the government can't, individuals can't, and then somebody might prove it wrong. So let's sort of let people figure it out as much as possible. And what, what did you say, Ed, earlier? Let reality be, let reality be the arbiter. Right. Something along, you know, let, you can't imagine you know, polygamy where there's 12 wives trying to make a decision on behalf of a child, but maybe somebody can, and maybe there's a way to do it without chaos. So let reality be the arbiter, maybe. Ed, I'm gonna give you the historian box. So correct me if I'm wrong. The founders had no problem with the states being meddling into pretty much everything, correct? I think that's right. I think that's true. They, 
the federal government was the one they were trying to severely limit. I think that they trusted that the states would remain uh, focused on protecting individual rights and didn't need the same limitations that the federal government might, might need. But like you say, there also were state churches. And I don't think anybody in that time had a problem, for instance, banning abortion, banning polygamy. They didn't right. mind the states meddling in private lives. So they weren't libertarians in that sense. I think they were only trying to limit the feds. I think that's correct. Good to know. See, this is why I love this learning new. Do you think that that's possible to sort of uh, let things play out a little? And yeah, I just, I would like to see where, you know, why, why doesn't California just make their own single payer healthcare system and we can all watch it play out? I personally think it would be a terrible mess, but those people want it. Why don't we just let them? Why can't they just do it? Um, why can't we just let states ban abortion? I personally don't think that's the path to solving that problem. I think it's a problem to be solved, but I don't think that's the path. But why can't we let people who believe those things act them out and let's see how it goes? Well, I agree with you 100%. Uh, the reason why we can't is because the 14th Amendment has been used to basically federalize almost every issue. Uh, the 14th Amendment and also the Commerce Clause, but the Commerce Clause since 1995, uh, the Supreme Court in 1995 decided U.S. versus Lopez, and that was the first case where they started to cut back on the, the, reach, of the, of the, the reach of the Commerce Clause power. But the 14th Amendment is the vehicle through which all of these state level issues are being federalized, whether it's gay marriage or abortion uh, or any of the other social issues that we're, that we're dealing with. I think we need to look, we need to go back to human nature. And human nature is that human beings are fallible. Um, the goal is not to make mistakes, but mistakes are inevitable. Uh, for you and me and for the people, the human beings that populate our governments. So to expect the government to be perfect in its implementation of individual rights is to ask or expect those government into those individuals in government to be against their own human nature. People are going to make mistakes. And I think that the brilliance and beauty of federalism is that it allows people to make mistakes and to play it out just the way you described and see what works and what doesn't work. And as much as I think that socialized medicine is an evil and an abomination and a violation of rights, I think California or whatever other state wants to implement it should be allowed to implement it and we should be able to see in reality what that means. Now we have plenty of evidence of what socialized medicine means from around the world, but apparently people need to see it happen at home I need to have it personally impact them. And I think that the genius of federalism says you can do that. The problem is the 14th Amendment has been used to federalize every issue and force every state to, to act the same way. Um, and relatedly, uh, you have federal district court judges that are grossly exceeding 
their judicial power by issuing injunctions that are nationwide in scope rather than just applying to the particular case or the particular facts or even just to their particular district. Um, and that's a, another, you know, we could probably do a whole show on that too, but uh, I think those two facts or those two things are why we can't seem to have experimentation in the states these days because whoever doesn't like something runs to court, files, files, files a case, and then asks the judge for an injunction against the federal, you know, against the state or against the federal government and asks for it to be imposed nationally. And that's how, uh, you know, gay marriage is now a national issue rather than a state level issue. Um, abortion in the same way. Um, so I think that's the answer to your question, unless you have more. That does not bode well for us. Well, I mean, we just have to recognize that in some, you know, the 14th Amendment was intended as a very good and desirable thing. It was meant to ensure that all people, especially freed slaves, had their rights and, and privileges respected by the states. Uh, and in that sense, it was well-designed and well-meaning, but we need to look at how it's playing out and we need to recognize that we have federalized almost all of these state level issues. And, you know, you know, the topical one today is, is police forces. I mean, the, the, the founders specifically designed the constitution so that there was no federal police power, but yet we've got Trump issuing executive orders on how police, local police departments are supposed to work. We've got a crime bill that, you know, the Republicans in the Senate led by Tim Scott put forth a crime, uh, not a crime, a police bill. Uh, and the House Democrats have their own police bill. It's not a federal issue. It shouldn't be regulated at the federal level. But yet, uh, through the 14th Amendment, it becomes a federal question, a federal issue. So we need to, you know, we need to, you know, start reevaluating. Maybe the 14th Amendment has gotten a little out of control in where it's going and what it's getting, you know, what it's justifying. I think for our purposes, um... I like to split up a few issues here. Number one is how was the country founded? What was it supposed to be? Um, what would it be um, when the three of us take it over, hopefully peacefully? And <laughs> since it's not that way now, where do we want to see it go? And what could anybody do about it? Because regardless of how we were founded, we find ourselves in this one nation kind of place rather than 50 laboratory states, which I think all three of us agree on at least that part, that we should have 50 different sets of rules. Of course, we're still gonna always get stuck on issues such as slavery, which almost every person I believe is going to think it's okay to force an independent state to not have slavery. And once we've agreed to that, I'm not sure where we draw any lines, federal versus state. Yeah. So that goes to the other question I, I had posed previously, are the difference between democracy and republic, and what are we? But that's a different show, right? <laughs> no, I think that's an easier one. Go for it, Ed. <laughs> well, I mean, you know, if you look at the etymology of the word democracy, it comes from the Greek and it means rule by the majority. Um, you know, in, in classic you know, libertarian speak, it's two wolves and a sheep voting on what's for dinner. Um, but a, a democracy is, is basically an, 
not basically, it's a government that is not limited in its power other than what the majority wants to do. Whereas a republic is a representative government where instead of the people voting for things, they vote for representatives. The representatives are supposed to be a filter and, and a cooling off mechanism to temper off public passions and the majority's passions in particular. And it's supposed to be a government that's limited in its scope and in its power. Um, and that's what distinguishes it fundamentally from a democracy. A democracy doesn't, doesn't have any limits on the powers that the government can, what the government can do. Whereas a republic is governed by a constitution that limits what the government is allowed to do and not allowed to do. Supposed to limit what the government's allowed to do. Correct, supposed to do. It's a parchment barrier though. It, yeah, it, it doesn't seem to limit very much at all at the moment. But by and large, we elect our representatives here, but we're called a democracy by a lot of really smart people. Not I don't either, get to not vote for everything. Smart co What's that? I said not by either of you two smart co-hosts. <laughs> sure. <laughs> so you're just saying they're, they're just misrepresenting what we really are. Um, I would say misrepresenting is the wrong word because it implies a level of intent and knowledge that they probably don't have. I think they're just regurgitating uh, mistaken information and or propaganda that they've been given in, in schools. You know, people are taught that we're a democracy, uh, but we're not. And we're just being imprecise. Unfortunately, right. I think we just mix up two words, thinking it doesn't matter when it really does matter big time. Yes, yeah, so, so I'd just be curious, is, is, there a, um, is there a reason why our education system might, might insert democracy versus republic? Is there, a, is there an advantage to big government to have it be a democracy? Then that's why you want to teach students that it's a democracy when it's not. Well, I'm just saying, what is the advantage? The advantage for the, for the big government status is that a democracy is not limited in what it can do. The government has no limitations on its power and it can regulate and do anything it wants so long as it can cobble together a majority. So yes, that's the advantage. I mean, when you ask, is there an advantage? The, the first question you have to ask is an advantage to who? Yeah. It's not an advantage to, to the advocates of limited government. It's, right. not an, it's not an advantage to the people who want to be left alone. But it, it is an advantage to the people who see government as a means of running other people's lives. Yeah, so I, I think there's, but I'm jaded, probably nefarious reasoning behind most of our people, in particular in schools being taught democracy versus republic. I, there's probably, it's probably not, um, it's probably nefarious reasons. Okay, I lied that I'm the youngest member of this group, and it's a long time since <laughs> since I was in high school and even college. I think is not not the problem isn't whether they teach republic versus democracy. The problem is they don't teach any civics, and if they yeah. do, they butcher it totally. I think that's a universal problem yeah. with education today. If that were their only problem, I think oh, we'd yeah. be in pretty good shape. Yeah, yeah, no, I agree. Democracy and republic. 
Yeah. Um, I don't know that they teach anything. And you got kids in school? I have one child in school, yes. What do they learn? What do you mean? Do they what learn civics, government? Well, I, I took an active role in his education and I sent him to a private school run by somebody that I know personally who made sure that the education he got was something that I agreed with and something that, you know, he was taught civics. He is, he has been taught civics uh, through the eighth grade. He just finished the ninth grade in a public high school. Um, he didn't learn American history in ninth grade. So it really wasn't about a, American civics in ninth grade. Um, but he's certainly aware of the differences that we're talking about. And he, you know, he, he has an, he has eyes open for some of the things that, that you're concerned about. Joe, do your kids go to government schools? No, my kids go to private schools. Um, and I think they, I mean, they're young. They're going into seventh grade. Um, um, but one of the reasons why we started their little show, Learning Liberty, I mean, aside from it's a benefit for me, I still have a ton to learn, but I really wanted them. I know even in a private school, they're getting, um, there, there's there's no lack of exposure to the liberal worldview. There's a lack of exposure to its opposite. So as a parent, I'm just trying to help expose them to the you know alternative thought processes of conservatism, libertarianism. So I'm trying to, with my kids, approach it that way, knowing they're gonna be exposed to all sorts of liberal ideology I don't have to expose them to that. I have to expose them to the opposite. I don't know what else to do. <laughs> I'm also going to ask a question to Jody's first question. Does it matter what we call ourselves? That's a great question. Sorry. So I, I can tell you one of the things, because I've had this discussion a little bit before, I don't mind me calling what I call myself and because I don't always know and it might change from subject to subject. So I'm fine with labels as long as I label me and you label you. But when everybody else starts labeling me, then I have a problem with labels. Otherwise labels are important and valuable, right? So for me, I might call myself classical liberal or I, I don't, I don't know. I, I'll figure that out as I go and I might change daily, but um, does it matter? Is there a communication issue? How do we communicate if we don't use labels? Can we call ourselves small government conservatives? Is there such a, uh, a label? Sure. And, and I think, um, I think there's a limit to, uh, how, how useful self-identification can be. I think that at some point it's, it's useful and necessary for others to be able to identify you, especially if they disagree with you. Um, the problem that I think Jody might be getting at, although I don't want, I'm not inside your head, Jody, uh, is when other people are either mistaken or worse than mistaken, dishonest in the way they label and characterize you. Um, and it can be tiring and, and exhausting correcting mistakes and, and particularly correcting evil people that are dishonest and 
you know, calling you a racist or calling you a Nazi or calling you all sorts of names as a substitute for, for rational argument, which a lot of people do today as, you know, they use labels as a form of intimidation and bullying. I think we also have to think about the words we didn't talk about besides conservative, libertarian, liberal, Republican and libertarian in the political sense, in the party sense, which is also different. So I'm a, I'm a Republican. I'm pretty comfortable calling myself libertarian, except for the brand, which gets into the whole brand issue. I think a lot of people, correctly or otherwise, associate libertarians with one issue, and that one issue is smoking weed. <laughs> and my, my um, experience, understanding of libertarians is the spectrum is so unbelievably broad that the minute I call myself a libertarian, I'm going to be pigeonholed into, okay, you just want to smoke weed and don't really give a hoot about anything else, which is definitely what I'm not about. So there's the label Republican, conservative, liberal. We kind of have an idea what those are, but libertarian as a brand has been destroyed. So it's almost embarrassing to say you're a libertarian because then you have to defend some really wacky ideas. Mm -hmm. Amen. That might be, in a nutshell, where, I, where I'm going from, you know, I went from liberal, liberal to libertarian to maybe not. <laughs> because I've, I have gone through that sort of seeing it from a closer perspective, I suppose, and dealing with exactly that. I know. I found going. it's 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 drugs and guns. I was about to bring up drugs as another you issue. Know, it's yeah. almost like there's a lot going on. It's not just drugs and guns, but also for me, I don't know if you guys have experienced this, but I've noticed sometimes they'll throw. I feel throw liberty under the bus um, on things. So I'm going to bring up just an example. Um, the whole open borders. And, and so on the one hand, they, they support open borders because they want free mobility of humans, freedom, but they will never acknowledge or answer for the fact that the free mobility of those people does not ultimately lead to freedom for the people here if it's a costly move. So if, those, if they're coming in and now we have to pay for all this stuff, they're just exchanging one group's increased freedom for another group's loss of freedom. So I, to me, well, that's not I, about freedom. Can I say something about that, Jody? I mean, yeah. I, I have a lot to say about open borders and, and open immigration. Um, and I think it gets back to what I was saying at the very beginning about libertarians viewing the law in an amoral way. Um, I think that they believe that once you have the proper political institutions, as the U.S. Constitution supposedly is, it doesn't matter what the morality or what the composition of the electorate is, that those political institutions will trump whatever the people, whatever the people want to do that violates it. And I think that they misapprehend the role that morality plays and the role that culture plays. You know, Andrew Breitbart famously said that politics is, is downstream of culture. And if you import people who not only don't believe in liberty, but are hostile to liberty, 
at some point they are going to have a large enough voice to either outvote you or just overturn the system. And the libertarians have absolutely no answer for that. They think that government must be amoral and neutral. And that's part, that's a big part of why I can't be a libertarian. As much as I have issues with the conservative side of that equation, the conservative understands that there's a cultural underpinning that a free society must have. And if it doesn't have it, it will not remain free for very long. Now, we could drop the U.S. Constitution into Iraq or Afghanistan or a whole bunch of other hellholes around the world, and it wouldn't do a, it wouldn't do a darn bit of good because the people there don't support those ideas. And that doesn't change if you just reverse the situation. Instead of bringing the Constitution to them, you bring them to the U.S. Constitution here. It's the same issue, just in reverse. So a libertarian says... The government has to be amoral. The government can't have any uh, sense of morality. It can't make any judgments about the morality of people. And I think that as a conservative, I look at things and I say, it's important that, that we have a good and moral people. Now, we don't get our morality from government primarily, uh, or even, even we shouldn't get, we shouldn't get it. I'll stick with primarily, but, um, I don't think that the government can just be neutral about who's here and, and, you know, whether we have a free society or not a free society. I think that, I think that the government needs to be on the side of liberty and on the side of freedom. And that goes for open borders. It goes for, you know, you were talking, you know, the prior part of the conversation before you brought up open borders was drugs. And, and that's another issue with the libertarians. I think that, you know, part of the culture of, of living in a free society is people who, who respect rational thinking and being rational. And a drug-addicted culture is not a rational culture. Now, you might need the freedom to do that, but um, you know, I noticed that libertarians are far more vociferous in their support for legal, legalizing heroin and cocaine and, and those sorts of illicit drugs than they are about for instance, abolishing the FDA and making cancer drugs illegal. Now, if you ask them, they will say that they, they do believe the FDA should be abolished and that they do believe in right to try laws. But that's not what you hear if you listen to them. They are focused on the irrational. They are focused on the, the drugs that are going to destroy a free society. And so, I, again, I'm not a drug warrior. You know, I don't I don't think I support the drug war, uh, but as time goes on, I'm, I don't want to say I'm more sympathetic to it because I'm still not sympathetic to it, but I, I understand it a little better. Um, it's probably a, 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 you know, a bandaid on the problem. If you have people that really want drugs, they're going to get them. Um, and in that sense, it's, it's sort of, you know, like I said, it, it's, it's a bandaid on the problem, but, I don't necessarily disagree with the government saying, you know, having drug addicted hippies is, is not the way to maintain a free society long term. And the libertarians would disagree with me on that. Um, I think the conservatives are more likely to agree with me on that. But, you know, I don't want to speak for them either. That's just my, my opinion on it. Ed, we're so happy to have you here at Liberty yes. Rock. I think you fell into a liberty block uh, trap. You said libertarians instead of saying some libertarians. 
<laughs> okay. So we, we want to be careful. It makes sense to me. I, I, what you just said makes total sense to me, Ed. Really. I got it. All right. Well, I can be your Pied Piper if you'd like. <laughs> now, we're, we're all free thinkers. I want to wrap up for today. I want to thank everybody for joining us, especially our two hosts. And hopefully we're going to be doing this regularly. Thank you.